for us to get to a place of communication requires vulnerability. It requires us to open up and share something so deep and not hold back. And oftentimes we don't do that. And we'll go ahead and keep our guard up. And then when our partner is communicating with us, it's not in the way that we need it to be because of whatever insecurities we have or whatever stories we tell us or tell ourselves, right? The Happy Healthy Human podcast will help you build your happy, healthy life. Your host, Paul Levitin, is a board-licensed health and wellness coach, nutrition coach, personal trainer, and behavior change specialist with over 10 years of experience helping people create positive life change. Each week, he discusses topics that will help you understand yourself, why you do the things you do, and how to take steps to create the life of your dreams. He talks with experts from therapists to addictions counselors, coaches, trainers, CEOs, financial planners, and more. If you've ever wondered how can you become the best, happiest, healthiest version of yourself, you've come to the right place. Veronica Cisneros is a licensed marriage and family therapist, a mother of three, and she's been married for 22 years. On top of that, she's also a course creator and the host of the Empowered and Unapologetic podcast. Veronica helps women reignite their marriage by reclaiming their identity. I met Veronica in person at a podcast event and we immediately hit it off and I just knew that she was so impressive and such a wealth of knowledge. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. 22 years of marriage is no joke. And add on top of that her private practice and now her work as a podcaster and a coach and you get the real deal when it comes to marriage and relationships. I can't wait for you all to hear this conversation and get to learn from Veronica and what she teaches us about how to have healthy, long-lasting relationships. All right, Veronica, you know, as a therapist and someone who is so versed and educated in so many different topics around mental health and therapy in general, I want to start by just getting some understanding around what is the difference between the different types of therapy, meaning therapy for an individual, maybe family therapy, relationship therapy. Are these things, do they go together? Are they completely separate? Do I need one? Do I need all of them? And like, where, where do I put all of these things together? Yeah, no, this is a great question. So you have, we have individual therapy, couples therapy, family therapy, um, there's, there's different platforms. It's all dependent on what exactly you need, right? And so if you are struggling with anxiety, depression, or some other mental health issue, right, you're going to want to seek individual therapy. And that's where you and myself as a therapist are meeting. You know, your first session I'm going to do, it's called an intake assessment. So your first session, I'm going to go ahead and get to know you, look and review over the paperwork that you've um, filled out, and I'm going to get a feel of what exactly is your current struggle and how can I be beneficial to you. Now, if you're asking about, you know, my relationship, my relation, you know, I'm struggling in my relationship as well. Oftentimes, I find, especially working with couples, you'll have a couple, right? And they're, they'll need to do couples therapy. But then more than likely, one of... One of the partners is struggling with a mental health issue. And so when there's a mental health issue there, let's say, you know, the wife is struggling with depression, she's going to want to go ahead and see an individual therapist. So she can do couples therapy and she can do individual therapy. And the reason why we want to make sure we keep that separate is because in couples therapy, we're focusing on the relationship. We're focusing on how you show up. We're going to be teaching you communication skills. I am going to touch on some mental health issues and how it impacts the relationship, but I really want to make sure that this individual is laser focused on how can we best treat them and the symptoms that they're experiencing and they get their own time. We want to make sure that they get their own hour, right, to go ahead and focus on those issues because we might see them play into, we might see them play into therapy in where now the therapist isn't necessarily laser focused on the couple, but now she's addressing a lot of mental health issues and that disrupts 
that disrupts the the whole reason for coming in. So we want to make sure that those are separate. Um, and if it's teens, yeah, we're doing, you know, a teen might come in and they're struggling with depression and the family might automatically, we get this sometimes where the family might want to go ahead and come in for therapy, right? And we'll do it all together as a family. Well, what ends up happening is we really got to help address some of the issues that the teen is experiencing, cutting, self-harm. And if the entire family's involved, most of the time the teen will open up and you'll have all of these symptoms that they're experiencing and they won't be treated. So what I like to do is, although a family does want to come in, I like to go out and work with the teen first, build up that relationship as quickly as possible, get an idea of what's going on, develop a game plan with the family as well as the teen. And then what we'll do is I'll meet with the family once a month where I'll, I will go ahead and teach them skills so that the teen is able to go out and have their time and their ability to go out and heal. And then I'm able to introduce some healthy skills for the parent and how they'll connect, how they're a part of this therapeutic process so that the family as well as the teen isn't dependent on me. Okay, that's super helpful in understanding those distinctions and, and when one might be the right choice over the other and sometimes mm-hmm. all of those things together. So a lot you mentioned a few times developing the skills that we need, right? Either at maybe communication skills between uh, between two partners and a couple or skills for coping with, with different things for a teenager or a parent or, or anyone. So my question would be then, if we're talking about developing skills, how much of that is a therapist or therapy necessary for? Like, why can't I just read books or watch YouTube or something yeah. like that? So ultimately, what we're looking for is we're looking for patterns. So let's say you came in, Paul, and you know you wanted to come in for therapy, right? And you came in and you said, you know what, I'm really struggling with my relationships. I'm experiencing a great deal of anxiety. You could definitely read a book, right? You can absolutely read a book. However, you actually implementing and applying the skills and truly understanding how to implement this is completely different. What is ultimately keeping you from living the life you want to live? A therapist is going to look at patterns. A therapist is going to look at your family history. And we're going to make connections. You can't do that with a book. You can't do that with a self-help book, right? We're going to look at patterns. And there's so many times with my clients when they're in session with me, they'll say, oh, my God, especially men. They'll say, oh, my God, I never knew that this is what I was doing. I had no clue I was recreating my childhood. You're going to have those aha moments with the therapist who's going to be challenging you, who's going to be asking you questions that you never even knew, you know, you, you never even talked about, you never even knew to answer. And we're going to be, we're going to be asking you those questions because we are trained in this field to go ahead and really get to the deeper rooted issue. On your own, we're going to do a lot of surface work. I mean, think about like people and losing weight. We do a lot of surface work. I'm going to just cut carbs and then I'm healed. I'm going to lose weight. Yeah, that works maybe for a week or two, but it doesn't really get down to the nitty gritty. It doesn't get down to the core. Why is it that I'm using food as a coping mechanism? Why is it difficult for me to take care of my body? You're not going to get that from a book. You're going to get that from really diving deep and somebody that's specialized in this area to help you. Yeah, I think that one thing that, that stood out for, to me there is the, the flexibility of working with a real person as yeah. opposed to a book is a book, you know, a YouTube video is a video. Whereas having someone who's there in the real time as you talk through things, there's one of my favorite sayings is you can't read the label from inside the jar. And when you're, you're too close to it, right? Uh, it's what, like when you're too close to it, you don't see. So this has happened in my own coaching practice where someone will be talking and I just listen and, and I just go, hey, you know, you mentioned this, you know, and sometimes it's something they mention in, in passing or something like yeah. that. Or just they, they don't even realize like, oh, so this, this, this happened. It's like, hey, you know, expand on that. And if you weren't with another person, another person who is, as you said, trained in these certain modalities and certain forms of talk therapy, or, you know, again, I talk about motivational interviewing a lot, cognitive behavioral therapy, these Mm -hmm. type of things, having that person to reflect back on you in that exact right moment, that is the key distinguisher between 
just regurgitating information because anyone can regurgitate information. And this is a big thing that I've come to understand about, about coaching, about therapy, is it's it's not about that. It's not about telling someone what to do or, you know, hey, hey, here's the facts about X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So my question for you is then, you know, why is it that giving people more knowledge isn't the thing that will actually lead them to change in most circumstances. None of us want to look at our truth. None of us want to look at our truth. We want to believe the lie. The lie is so much easier to believe. I don't want to be honest about my own reality. Hell no. And I for damn sure don't want anybody else to be aware of it. I don't want to be exposed. So I'm going to live the lie. As long as I live the lie, then I get to be in control, which is a complete illusion. But the minute you take that away from me, I don't know what to do. I don't have the guide. I don't have the skills. You know, I did this podcast recently on transgenerational trauma. You know, most of us wonder, why in the hell do I feel this way? Why am I responding or reacting in this way? I have no idea where this comes from. Well, when you're working with a therapist, we look at, you know, I just did this on the live. You know, a lady was telling me, you know, my husband, my husband's, you know, he he's gaming and it is my fault. It's my fault. I need to stop nagging. And maybe if I stop nagging, he'll go ahead and spend more time with me. Completely dismiss the fact that her husband's gaming for like 15 hours a day, you know, and doesn't sleep and then wakes up grouchy. She automatically went into, this is my fault. I have to do something different. I have to engage him. I have to entertain him. And it's like, wait a minute, who did you learn this from? And mind you, I wasn't providing therapy for her. It was psychoeducation. But that's what we dive in deep. Who did you learn this from? And, you know, with my clients, what we'll find is, well, my mom did this. And this is how my mom would behave with my dad. And my mom never asserted herself. My mom never set boundaries. And so I wasn't taught, right? So if you weren't taught something, you don't know what exists. Yeah, you said something that was really interesting to me, which is something I like to talk about a lot, but the way you phrased it specifically was the illusion of control. Yeah. So I, I want to, I would, I'd like you to expand on that a little, but just kind of what you were just saying, right? So this woman who maybe her, you know, her husband is playing video games all day and all night and she brought that back to her, right? Saying like, oh, this is my fault. So is that something like you're, like you're saying, like, is that the illusion of control? Hell making yes. Something that, like, so yeah, so what exactly is that, like, again, the illusion of control and where does it come from? Why is it such a, a powerful motivator for us? Absolutely, great question. Well, so it's an illusion and it is a form of, of strongly desiring control, right? Because as long as I pin it on me, as long as I take the blame, I could do something about it, right? I could stop nagging. I could maybe feed, you know, I could make sure I cook home-cooked meals. You know, I could maybe lose weight so he's more attracted to me. I, you know, when he ever, whenever he does engage with me in those moments, I'm going to praise him. I'm going to love him, right? I'm going to do all of these things because that's going to get me from point A to point B. It's an illusion because even if you do all of those things, right? Even if you're walking around the damn house naked, I'm going to tell you what, that game is going to be so much more convincing than you. Here's why. That's not the issue. The issue isn't you. The issue is possibly this gaming addiction and what gaming represents to him, right? And that is met with so much other things. Like what has he learned as a kid? How has, how, and so I asked her, I was like, have you ever asked him what does gaming represent to him? And she's like, yeah, well, maybe not in that way, but when I asked, you know, why gaming over me? And he said, gaming is a form of an escape. She interpreted it as, I'm not enough. I have to escape from you. That's not what he's saying. Escape. So we get to find out in therapy, we get to find out what escape means. And in addition to that, why you were so quick to own it as an escape from you. And what we will find in therapy is not only is this learned behavior, but this has to deal with lack of confidence, lack of self-worth, possibly some depressive symptoms, right? Possibly some anxiety. And if we were to take it even further, you know, again, in therapy, what are some thoughts that come up for you? What are, some, what are some thoughts that come up for you often about being a wife? What did you learn 
about being a wife from your mom? What did you learn about being a wife from your dad? And how are you repeating those patterns or how are you going to the other extreme? Keeping you from accepting your partner for who he is and who he's not. Believing the lie. It's your fault. Yeah, that's that's super interesting because exactly how you ended right there about, you know, the other extreme because in my in my coaching and in, in this podcast, a lot of other episodes, listeners will know, I talk a lot about kind of the opposite in that people love to not uh, take ownership of their problems, right? So if it's, you know, if video games are more, are, are just so addictive, it's not my fault that I'm doing anything. It's, you know, if it like, if I have, uh, if I have a genetic predisposition towards losing weight, I mean, towards uh, not being able to lose weight, then it's not my fault. I can, I can, uh, I can't lose weight. If, you know, my boss just is a, a dick, then it's not my fault. I didn't get the promotion. And in that way, I think that people have this illusion of control as being taken away from them, right? Yeah. Because in reality, we don't really control anything and yet we kind of, we do control ourselves which are which is the only thing we, we can control so even though these two things are kind of completely counter to each other right what you just said about how like they're taking all that control and making it a me thing when this is probably a him thing versus what i'm talking about where it's like i'm taking all of the control and pushing off myself so i don't have to bear the the, the brunt of that blame they kind of meet in the middle and are stemming from the same thing do you see what i'm, I'm kind of getting at yeah so you get caught up in that lie and believe it, right? But again, it still provides you with a sense of relief because I can do something and, and you're trying to make it tangible. But the whole reason why we yearn for that control is because we don't know what to do otherwise. I don't know how to deal with this feeling of discomfort. I don't know, you know, my husband's in the other room and here I am with a baby and I don't know how to go ahead and set a boundary. I don't know how to speak up for myself. And so as long as I could find the problem, then there's something I can do. But because I don't know what to do, I stay stuck here. And I don't like this feeling. So let me go out and do what my mom did. Let me go out and do the opposite of what my mom did. But we're working with extremes. And the minute we start working with extremes, we end up with the same results, the same results. Oftentimes, we're afraid to go ahead and seek help because, again, we want to live the lie. Yeah, I think one, two things right there, right? We always err towards extremes because, and I think this is kind of sums up what you were just saying, is that what either extreme does in a positive or negative way is it takes the decision-making responsibility off of me. Like you just said, I don't know what to do, and that's an uncom uncomfortable place to be, so I'll just do what my mom did. I'll just do what I've always done. I'll just self-sabotage like I always have. I'll just blame myself or I'll blame the person sitting across from me. They're all the same in the way that it makes the decision for us because the least comfortable place to be is a place of not knowing and not feeling in control. And, and we will go to a less optimal uh, solution because it feels like a solution, even though in the long term, it's probably the opposite of a solution. It's probably going to create more problems and it's going to create uh, more more unhappiness for us. So in that regard, I want to talk a little bit more about specifically relationships because mm -hmm. I know that is where a lot of your expertise lies. So I'm, I, I'm thinking I'm actually uh, in a relationship right now. So this is very top of mind. For oh, yeah, let's first do it. And like... <laughs> for for forever, you know, I, I literally have been single for like 10 years yeah. and I've been dating a girl now for about six months and it's it's awesome. But something that, that comes to the question that I that comes up a lot with me, not in my relationship specifically, but all relationships in general is just where do we draw the line in terms of what level of change or sacrifice is acceptable for me to give to a relationship, right? What What level of me going like, okay, well, this is what she wants, so I should change X, Y, and Z. And what level is acceptable to expect from a partner? Meaning, you know, a lot of times when I, I hear people talking about like, oh, I just want so-and-so to be different, but it's like, then you're trying to change a person at their core. 
you know, so, but, but there, there should be, I guess, in my eyes, some level of flexibility. So I'm, I'm wondering where do you find that balance and how do you know, when am I giving too much? When am I asking for too much? And, and where do we find that middle ground? Beautiful question. Beautiful question. Okay. So we're, I'm about to get to work now. All right. So the biggest thing, right? You got me all excited. So the biggest thing in relationships is we want to make sure we constantly maintain that friendship. The friendship is of the utmost importance. And I love how you said, you know, what part do I need to change in myself? What part should I expect for her to change? And, you know, when is it required? And what shifts need to be done? We're making it way too complicated, right? I want you to think about when you guys met. It was so exciting, right? You wanted to get to know them. You're kind of still in the early phases. You want to get to know them. You're asking them all kinds of questions. What are the likes? What are their interests? There's this level of curiosity, right? There's this great level of curiosity. I'm so excited to meet with this person. I'm so excited to be around them. And some of the things that they're sharing, some of the things that they like are similar to what I like. Like, holy shit, this is like amazing. And we get more and more excited about the relationship, right? And then that level of attraction increases. It's building up that friendship. That's what we want to do. We want to focus on building up that friendship, building up what Gottman calls love maps, the other really, really important thing to do, you mentioned, what part of myself do I need to change? What part should I expect her to change? When we're in a relationship, a healthy relationship, it is very, very extremely important that we are independent. And that's something we're not taught. We are taught to be codependent. But it is very important we are independent. Well, what does that look like? I have to know who the hell I am. I have to be very aware of my insecurities and have a strong desire to work on them, right? I have to know what those are. Maybe not all of them, because we're all a work in progress, but I have to get a good idea of what am I bringing into this relationship? What issues am I bringing into this relationship? So that those I can work on, and it is not the expectation of me placing that on my partner. And that's what I often see in relationships. We have all of these insecurities, all of these issues and we look to our partner to go ahead and meet our needs. We look to our partner to go ahead and build our self-esteem. I'm going to tell you right now, that's an absolute win-lose situation because only you're gaining from it. You're the only one taking, taking, taking when you need to go ahead and work on those issues. And you want to be independent so that you are aware of the issues you need to work on. She is aware of the issues she needs to work on, and you guys are working on those independently. But you guys get to shine as your true authentic self, not looking for the other person to go out and meet your needs. Not There's no expectations, right? Instead, we can serve our partner, but we don't feel that added stress. We don't feel all of that heavy weight, right? So that we can be interdependent. And interdependent, they're going to have strengths, and weaknesses and we get to come together not using our weaknesses as weight but using our weaknesses as I'm coming into this relationship vulnerable and I get to be your best friend because I know who I am or I'm working on knowing who I am but you don't have that added weight of trying to go ahead and convince me of any different and I get to show up at my level of being exceptional and you get to show up as being your exceptional self. But again, there's not where I'm trying to give and constantly take with regards to the other things that are coming that, that are going on for me personally. And so I'm going to better serve you because I'm better serving myself first, right? Yeah, it's it's funny the way you explain that because this is how I talk about coaching in general. This is how I talk about success in general. I say all the time, a, a rising tide raises all ships. It's literally in the intro and outro of this podcast yeah. you know, that, that, that I say, because again, my whole thing is like, that's what this is all about. Happy, healthy human is the name of the podcast, because if you're happy, healthy, and you're a better human, inevitably, the people around you are going to benefit from that. Your kids, your coworkers, your employees, your bosses, and yes, your partners. So it's funny the way you explain it, because it's just like, just being a better version of me allows me to bring the best version of me to a relationship. And I talk about this a lot about self-confidence because people are always 
looking to be more confident, right? I want to lose weight to be more confident. I want to have more money and I'll be more confident. When I get the promotion, I'll be more confident. When I have the pretty guy or the pretty girl, I'll be more confident. But all of those things are seeking self-confidence through external validation. And it's like the way to find that confidence to, to whatever you're looking for is to go inward rather than outward. And then when you do that, lo and behold, all of this other stuff just kind of happens by by chance because you've you've opened up yourself to the possibility so how do we make sure to focus on that right to focus on that independence and that want selfness right yeah when we are a a a partner possibly a parent a boss an employee all of those things start to encroach on our identity. So how can we be sure to maintain that level of me when all of this other stuff is going on? Absolutely. Well, it's being aware of what your needs are. Like what are ultimately your needs, you know, and really identifying them. I know, you know, what are your needs in a relationship? And let me give you some examples that oftentimes people, people give me, you know, for women, the number one thing is security right? Absolutely. Number one thing is security. I want to feel secure in the relationship. I want to feel loved. I want to feel adored. I want to feel supported. I want to feel appreciated, right? I want to feel sexy. I want, you know, I need my partner to, um, you know, be financially savvy. I need my partner to be present. I need my partner to um, love me unconditionally, right? And so what we do is I'll do like a little, I'll do like a little box. And so it's like a stick figure of the woman, you know, maybe her and then her partner, right? And the box is right in the middle where the heart's at. So what are your needs? And so they'll list them. And then what do you think your partner's needs are? Let's go ahead and start listing. What do you think your partner's needs? Well, he always tells me he needs more sex. You know, that's the first thing he says. He needs more sex, right? So sex is one of them. And another thing, he wants to feel understood. I mean, I don't know what the hell is wrong with him. I understand him. But he wants more of it. So he wants to feel understood, you know. And then the other thing is he wants more time. He needs more time, you know. And he needs more time with me because he says I spend too much time with kids. So I guess he needs more time, right? And so when I look at these needs, right, and when we actually look at them, well, how can you, you're expecting to go ahead and have your partner meet all these needs for you. How has that built up resentment? Well, it's built up resentment because no matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter how many times I listen to them, it's never enough. You know, it's never enough. And I asked the male, you know, what, what does this look like? Well, same thing. She, no matter what I do for her, you know, she wants me to tell her she's sexy. I tell her sexy, she's sexy all the time. It's not enough. What ends up happening is it causes a divide and resentment starts to build. So if you're able to identify what these needs are, then you're also able to identify how can I meet these so that when my partner does start to show me support, I can appreciate it. And it's no longer an expectation, right? And it's something he's doing on his own. And it's the same thing for me. I'm working on all of these things. I'm working on providing myself with security. So even if he was to say something or hurt me, or even if we were to have an argument, I am working on myself. I'm working on my confidence. So it doesn't get to a place where I'm personalizing it and I, I feel defeated. Instead, I can recognize something out of anger, you know, or this something that this something that was says, but that doesn't that doesn't impact me because I know who I am. I'm working on it. But it really, really keeps from the couple being into this state of resentment and not seeing each other because we're working on those yeah. things. Right. It, I think we keep circling back to just knowledge of self and how Hell important yeah. and how powerful that that is, right? As you said, what are my needs? But then also, what are my partner's needs? And then I guess what I would ask then about is communication, right? And where you see those communication breakdowns, because it's, it's my imagination. I'm not, I don't, I don't do what you do, but it's my imagination that people don't even go as far as you just did, which is to look, think of your needs and then communicate them to the partner, right? So my question is, is twofold of one, you know, why do we find it so hard to just communicate about these things with our, with our partner? And then two, 
in those times where they do communicate them, right? Because you just said that the, the husband said, well, she tells me all the time she wants to feel pretty and I tell her she looks pretty. Where is the breakdown in the communication that so many people can feel like they are communicate, communicating their needs, but simultaneously feel like their needs are not being heard or met? Well, it falls under listening to understand. Most of us are listening to go ahead and speak over somebody or waiting for our turn, right? And so for us to get to a place of communication requires vulnerability. It requires us to open up and share something so deep and not hold back. And oftentimes we don't do that. And we'll go ahead and keep our guard up. And then when our partner is communicating with us, it's not in the way that we need it to be because of whatever insecurities we have or whatever stories we tell us or tell ourselves, right? So for this particular woman, she was saying, well, he's saying it's an escape. Gaming is an escape. So he must be escaping from me. Well, what she doesn't realize is if she was to go ahead and sit down when her partner said it's an escape and instead ask him to tell her more, give me some more clarity. You mentioned an escape. An escape from what? You know, I, I do see, you know, and this is where validation comes in. I do see that you are tired and there is so much time and effort, you know, spent at work. But then there's so much time on on gaming and not in a critical way, but where you're criticizing him, but really developing an understanding of what this is. And so when we're communicating, making sure that we're not personalizing what's being said and really trying to listen to their truth. Again, though, we have to make sure we allow our guards to come down and we're listening to understand. That's like the best way I can explain it is truly listening to understand. You want your partner to talk more? You want to feel more connected? Listen to understand, not listen to personalize. So listening to understand is huge. Active listening, real listening, as you said, not just listening to waiting for your next option to to get a jab in or something like that. And you also said something that I think is extremely important not to just gloss over is asking better questions, right? We think that for some reason, people will tell us how they feel. And yet we don't tell people how we feel. Or we think that we should understand from a very surface level answer, right? Like you just said, oh, you know, I I game because it's an escape. Like that could garner some type of of information. Whereas if I gave a short one sentence, five word answer like that to someone, I would know deep down inside that there's much more to unpack there, right? It's not, yeah, like I said, yeah, it's just an escape, but that's because I don't want to argue. I don't want to get into a whole thing. What I really mean is I'm tired from work. What I really mean is that I just want some time where it's just me and my, and my friends. I don't want to have to think about X, Y, and Z. And there, there's a lot of stuff that goes in there. So that being able to ask questions and being open to ask questions, I think is a necessary skill for, I mean, for humans, but for also for a relationship. But I think that people are often afraid of the answers that they will get. So yes, where do we go if I'm, you know, again, if I feel like there's more, but I want to you know push a little but again you might have a uh, you know you know that they're going to snap at me or i know he's tired i know he's going to yell at me and give me the same stuff how do people tread that line of like wanting to get that real information but also not wanting to blow up into a fight you get to say that i want to learn more but i don't even know what questions to ask you get you get to say that i i i know that there are people out there that are not therapists i'm obviously therapists that we have so many questions to ask like loads i mean give us a whole day more than a day right we can ask all kinds of stuff but in your relationship what is what do you ultimately want like i mentioned earlier it's building up that friendship which means you got to be curious right so there has to be some level of interest in your partner and so if you're in that position where you're afraid that if you say anything, it's going to trigger, you know, it's going to like poke the bear, you get to say that. Outside, you know, try to withdraw from criticizing and try to withdraw from using that like as a judgmental statement. Instead, hey, you know what? I'm feeling disconnected. And where we were, you know, is, isn't where we're at right now. 
And I notice I'm disconnecting too. Hold yourself accountable. I notice I'm, con- I'm disconnecting too. One thing you mentioned was being busy or, um, you know, wanting to escape. I want to know more, but I don't even know what questions to ask. Can you tell me more? Or, you know, what is it like? What is it, what is it even like to have this conversation? I know for me it's, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant. Um, I know I want to connect and that's the goal, but I don't even know if I'm doing this right. In a healthy relationship, your partner will see that and, and, and reply with, I have, you know, you mentioned feeling disconnected. I have noticed, you know, that you are disconnected or I've been feeling disconnected too. And when I mean escape, what I mean by that is, you know, there's so much going on and I'm afraid to lose my job. And I haven't, I, ha- I haven't had enough courage to tell you that I've been really afraid financially and I've noticed I've been so frustrated. And I don't mean to take it out on you, but gaming just provides this escape. Now you've been given more information, right? And you get to be there for your partner to support them and validate them. And what you'll start to realize is they're struggling with something too. They're also seeing that there are issues in the relationship that they don't know how to fix. And so you're meeting them where they're at. You're asking clarifying questions, but take the judgment and personalization out and really hear what your partner's saying. Yeah, I mean, one, for people listening, it's just Veronica is such a pro with this, right? I can, you, you might not, people might not notice, right? I notice these type of things, but like even in your role playing, the, the tonality of your voice changed, right? When you were, when you were pretending yeah, to be that, that woman, like, hey, you know, and you slowed down and you made sure that to not come off pesky or badgery, right? Because that, that, these are the things that we have to pay attention to because we are treading on, you know, sensitive topics and it can be easy for, in that exact scenario for that same question of like, what do you mean? It, it could, it could be, it could be, what do you mean that you're, that you just need an escape or it could be, Hey, what do you mean? I, I really want to know more. What, what does that mean to you to, to use an escape and the tonality and the inflection and the mm-hmm. pacing and all of these things matter. And that's why a lot of times people get caught up with communication because they're like, they hear one thing when the person meant another and people are always, we see everything from our own point of view. Yeah, That's the only way we ever can see it, right? I am me, you are you. So we see everything as the center of our own universe. So when your husband says, oh my God, I just need to escape for a few hours, that inherently feels like an attack at me because it's like, again, I'm the yeah. center of my own universe. So, oh, that means you're escaping from me. But there's just a little bit of pause if we can just take a step back we can see that oh there is another way to look at it and that's a much harder thing but that those clarifying questions take away the ambiguity and i think that that is a what what ha- what causes a lot of problems in relationships and in life is having no answer rather than having an answer that we don't like it's kind of that feeling of not knowing so we fill in the blank spots with our own assumptions is that something that you've seen in your practice? Absolutely. We start to build a story. We start to build a story. You know, of course he doesn't want to talk to me. Why would he want to talk to me? And that's exactly what this, you know, this woman was doing. He doesn't want to talk to me and he doesn't want anything to do with the kids. This is the way it's going to be for the rest of our lives. He's going to be gaming. I'm going to be here taking care of the kids. You know what? Screw that. I'm not doing that. You know, and screw him. And we go into, you know, I'm just not talking to him at all. And I bet you anything he's going to freak out when he finds an empty home. That's when he's going to go ahead and realize that this wasn't working. And it's like, okay, wait a minute. Hold up, girlfriend. Like, you're already you're already divorcing him, moving out. You have no idea what this is at, what he's actually going through and if if the stories that you're building up in your head are actually true or if it's complete distorted thinking. You know? And yeah, you know, I love that you pointed out, you know, the tone and voice. If you're going into a conversation where your emotions are high, and you're, we call that flooding, where your emotions are high, you, you have a 97% fail rate. Like literally, 90, research studies show it's a 97% fail rate. If your emotions are hard and you, high and you start up a conversation, a harsh startup, that conversation is going to go nowhere. 97%. It's going to fail. 
automatically. Why? Well, because you're intimidating, right? And you're automatically on that on that verge of attacking. Nobody's going to listen to you. And if they are going to listen to you, guess what's going to end up happening? They're going to meet you exactly as elevated as you are. And now we're on the defense mode. We're no longer communicating. Now we're defending our stance. And we might fall into criticism. We might even fall into contempt where, see, this is why you suck as a parent and I'm an amazing mother, you know, and all of those hours of gaming, guess what? Your kid knows and you're positioning yourself higher, which means you've now positioned your partner as the enemy. Again, the conversation goes nowhere. But if you're really, I know this change, it sucks. I know everything about it sucks. Why do I have to do one more thing? Well, it's not necessarily just for the relationship. It's for you. Because I guarantee you, if you leave this, if you leave him, you're going to repeat the same damn patterns in other relationships. And it's just this constant cyclical pattern that keeps on happening over and over because you haven't utilized the tools to create change in your life, which means you will continue that dysfunctional cycle in all of your relationships. Okay. I love everything that you just said and there's two things there's two threads that i want to pull on and i'm yeah, going to say it. them both right now so i don't forget but i'm gonna let you choose which one so which one we do first so the first one is talking about stories right and you mentioned yeah right one of the things that we do is like, like you said like so a wife might go oh my god he's he's here playing video games all day what's it going to be like when we have a kid he's going to be like this i'm going to be like and like meanwhile she's not even pregnant there are no kids yeah, this is all real. just like it's just a spiral that that's gone out of control so i'm wondering i, I have my own you know uh steps I take clients to, to to break out of stories. So I'm wondering how you help clients deal with stories and the spirals that occur. That's that's question one. And then question okay. two is what you were just talking about ending right there about if you leave the relationship without working on X, Y, and Z, you will find yourself in the same pattern again. So that's something I'm very interested in. And why is it that we find ourselves in these same patterns, specifically with relationships, but with most things in life? And and what is the work that we need to do to get out of that pattern if we're this person who finds himself, the girl who's gotten cheated on three times, or the guy yeah. who's always with the 22-year-old the blonde who never, who never has any real feelings with him, and we just go in these cycles and cycles. So one thing is the stories, and one thing is the patterns. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, so let me see if I can merge the two. I'm going to try. So the stories we build up, right? I remember, I'll do, yes, I am. I remember with my husband and I, right? We've been married 22 going on 23 years. And I remember in the beginning of our relationship, um, we we were newly married. And I remember when we would get into an argument, I would automatically take it to the next level. Like, he would be yelling, I would be yelling, and then I got to a point where it was like, you know, well, why don't you leave? If you don't like this, why don't you leave? And I remember, literally, Paul, I remember, I would, like, open up the door and say, go, go. The argument did not constitute somebody leaving, but in my mind, it totally did. And so it was like, well, if you don't like this, leave. And I remember my husband would look at me and say, I'm not leaving, and he would just go to another room. And then he would lock the door, just just piss me off, Right. But that would happen over and over again. And the truth was, I didn't know how to argue. And I didn't know how to argue because what I watched as a kid was my mom and dad argue. And what would happen when my mom and dad would argue is, my mom would never ask my dad to leave, but my dad would just leave. The argument would get crazy, right? My mom would start to yell. She had held on so many things. So many things, let go of so many things, just brush under the rug, brush under the rug until she blew. And when she blew, that's when she would just go apeshit crazy. And my dad would stonewall, just just stay completely quiet, grab a shit and leave. So I watched that. I watched that play out. But my dad wouldn't just leave and then come back after a long drive and thought, you know, thought through it. Hell no, my dad would leave, cheat on my mom. And then not come back the next morning, which meant we didn't have any money, right? Because my dad was a barber and he made money, you know, during the day. So I learned that it was my mom's fault. My mom pissed my dad off. Why did she do that? Now we're going to sacrifice. We have to sacrifice because you know he's not going to work. He's going to go and get high. And so I learned, okay, wait a minute. Well, what role do I want to take in an argument? Well, I'm not taking my mom's role. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Hell no. Why would I take my mom's role? I'm going to take my dad's role. And my dad's role was control. 
illusion of control, control. And he got to determine whether or not he left. So I get to determine whether or not my husband leaves. And I get to tell him to leave. And I get full control over all these emotions and I get to hurt him, right? Until one day, Paul, he and I got into this big old argument. I opened the door, told him to leave, and he walked out. And he walked to the car and I'm watching him. We lived in an apartment back then and I'm watching him walk to his car. And I'm thinking, well, you know what, screw him. Good, I'm glad he left, right? Dismissing all of the emotions I had, all of those fears, all of that uncertainty, dismissing it all together, right? I'm not gonna pay attention to that. And I watched him get in the car and I was like, oh shit, he's really like leaving for us. And he turned on his car and then he just sat there. And then all of those beautiful stories came to play, right? Of course he's not gonna leave, why would he leave? Where's he gonna go? He can't leave. I am in control. He's not in control. Here we go. Look at this. I guess I have to go out. I guess I have to go out there and I have to fix the situation. Oh, God, he's such a loser. I can't believe he's still in his car. Okay, whatever. I'm going to go over there because he can't make the decision. And I end up walking down the stairs, walk towards his Honda Civic, his Honda Civic, and knocked on the window. He unlocked it. I opened the door. And he was sitting there crying. He was crying. I had never, my husband's a retired Marine, you know, and during that time he was active duty. I'd never, I'd never seen him cry. You know, don't get me wrong. I see my dad cry, but like that was rare. And he was crying because he just got caught cheating. Um, but here I am seeing my husband cry. And I thought to myself, what the hell am I doing? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? And I'd like to say that after that, I totally was on my best behavior and I figured life out, but that would be a complete lie. It wasn't until I realized, wait a minute, I'm not allowing him to love me because I don't love myself and I don't feel deserving of his love. So I will create these arguments, repeat the same patterns my family did, my mom did. I will repeat these same patterns because this is familiar, right? But the truth was I was pushing my husband away because I didn't feel deserving. So, first of all, that's a great story. I appreciate you really sharing that because yeah, it, of course. it shows, one, also 22 years of marriage is wild. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's amazing. But, you know, it's interesting because you, you kind of did combine, right, like the, the, the patterns and the stories, right? And so if I am understanding this right, those patterns that we get stuck in, they come from usually our past or, again, what we were taught or what we observed. We weren't ta uh, taught outright. And... Then and we're looking for a sense of control, as you were, right? You're, I want, yeah. I'm looking for, I want to be the, the the driving the narrative in this. And if I know that there's a good guy and a bad guy, I want to be the, I want to be the good guy. I want to be the winner, not the loser. And then we use stories to kind of solidify that narrative to back that up right oh well it must be that he must be wrong that I like I I'm the right one or it must be like this it must be like that so they kind of go hand in hand that we get stuck yeah. in these patterns because of the stories that we tell ourselves and we use the stories to to make the patterns correct so that we can keep stuck in them because we're not going to do things over and over that we know are wrong right even mm -hmm. if we know outright that that we're wrong right like i'm always the, i'm the the girl who always gets cheated on or the guy who always gets cheated on we have a story that it's like well again i deserve this or this is just how i am because i don't have i don't make enough money of course they're going to cheat or something like that so these stories they solidify the pattern that we're in so then my question logically to me this is always the next question is what tools do you then use or can you equip people with to break out of these stories because it seems like the stories are the things that that keep us stuck the stories the patterns they all go hand in hand what what can i do if i'm in that if the stories aren't real but they feel real to me yeah so uh, the best way the quickest way to go ahead and determine if it's a distorted thought is by asking yourself is this 100 percent true is this 100 percent true Am I, you know, if I'm, if I'm saying that this is going to be my life for the rest of my life, what evidence do I have to prove that? You know, and I don't because for one, I'm not a fortune teller and I don't have like, you know, a magic globe, like I don't have it. Right. And so I have no clue. So wait a minute. It can't be true because ultimately I'm fortune telling and I don't have that power, you know, or 
if I'm using words like always and never, this always happens to me. I'm never going to get what I want. Well, that's bullshit because you're, you're saying always and never. And is that 100% true that you never get what you want? Well, I mean, there was that one time that, you know, I totally won a contest or, you know, there was that one time when I really, really worked hard and I got the degree that I was, you know, I was working my butt off for. Well, wait a minute, then you are capable. You are capable. So that's a lie. It's not 100% true. Recognizing whether or not this is black and white thinking, if this is all or nothing thinking, because if it's all or nothing thinking, then it's something we can challenge, right? There's no facts behind it. There might be history, but that history isn't always going to replay itself if we're able to go ahead and heal from that pain. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. Challenging that all or nothing thinking, challenging that black or white thinking and just is it a fact of, of nature or is it you know just a feeling that we have? I think that's super powerful. So Veronica, that's amazing. And I, I really appreciate your time. And I want to start to wrap up here because yeah. I could talk to you for hours. Um, <laughs> but the last question I ask all my guests is simply, if you can leave listeners right now with one action step that they can take as soon as this episode ends, as soon as they take their headphones out to start living a happier, healthier life. And this can be in any realm. It can be in regards to anything. What would your action step be? Mine's going to be really simple. I want you to go ahead and let the sun kiss your face. And I know that sounds like so crazy, so, so crazy. But the reason why I give you such a simple step is because there's so many of us that forget to live life intentionally. You know, and we're so consumed with the what ifs. We're so consumed with it needs to be so big and I'm going to make, I'm going to create all of these big goals. And we all know we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. But if you could do one thing, one thing, and that's live intentionally by being in the moment and allowing that sun to hit you, to just kiss your face, you are in the moment, you are mindful, you are present on purpose, which provides you with the ability to truly just live right? We don't, we don't get, we, we don't allow ourselves that time. Like right now, I'm not allowing the sun to kiss my face so much because it's like blinding me. Um, however, I could feel it, right? And this is, this allows me to like, just feel alive and reset, which is overall wonderful. That's amazing. And those are my favorite action steps are the simplest ones. And, you know, Mm -hmm. those are the type of things that we need to be doing more of. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for your time once again. And just for anyone listening, just tell people where they can find you about your podcast. And I know you have a freebie that you wanted to uh, give anyone who, who was interested. Yeah, of course. So on all social media platforms, my tag name is Empowered and Unapologetic. Again, that's Empowered and Unapologetic. I do have a free guide. It is called The Five Mistakes to Avoid for a Healthy Marriage, Tips from a Therapist. Um, And you can access that guide by going to empoweredandunapologetic.com forward slash guide. Again, that's empoweredandunapologetic.com forward slash guide. And lastly, definitely listen to my podcast. Again, the name is Empowered and Unapologetic. Paul, thank you so much. This was absolutely amazing. Thank you for being here. And I'll have links to all of that stuff in the show description and show notes. And thank you for being here as well, Veronica. This was a great time. Have a great day. That's all for this week. Be sure to subscribe and follow the show so you don't miss a beat. And we'll be back next Wednesday with a brand new episode. Support the show by sending this episode to a friend or leaving a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Until next week, stay happy, stay healthy.